Lord, we thank you for our eyes and ears and all the physical ability we have is a gift from you. But there is a sight that we need that only comes by the Holy Spirit. And that is insight into your word. Understanding what you've written in your Bible would be impossible to us apart from your spirit. And we do not take this for granted, but ask for this grace once again to hear you as you speak to us by your Spirit in this place on this day. Come and teach us, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Matthew 20, verse 1. This is the Word of God and the words of Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose? With what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time relating to this story. Most of us work for a salary that we negotiate before we take a job. We rarely know what our fellow employees are paid. And not only that, few of us, there are a few, can relate to farm work. And even fewer to being paid by the day. And yet, the message of this parable runs straight through every human heart. 
I think it's really hard to embrace this. And that may be why we tend to pass over it. But really, the story is not that far-fetched. I want you to consider this news story. The headline reads, Labor Unrest Royals California Vineyard, the subheading, Accusations of Unfair Labor Practices, including Discriminatory Wage Setting. So let me read the story to you. Tempers flared in the July heat as employees of the Robert Mondavi Vineyard uncovered alleged unfair hiring and compensation practices. ABC News has learned that employees who've done relatively little work are being paid at the same rate as 12-hour shift workers. One worker who asked to remain anonymous out of fear of losing his job told our reporter, Brittany Marshall, quote, they give the one-hour lackeys the same daily pay as us. Napa Valley Congresswoman Robin Stemwinder vowed a congressional inquiry. In a statement released to the media, she said, we cannot allow generosity for some and not for all. Vineyard owner Robert Mondavi, 75, was out of the country in Italy and did not return calls by time of publication. When confronted by ABC News at the Vineyard, estate manager Salvatore Smith would only say, Mr. Mondavi told me to hire whoever wanted a job, and he didn't care when they started, and to pay them all the same. This is a developing story. Stay with ABC News for regular updates. <laughs> so you get it, I made it all up. But it is conceivable, and that's because... We want fairness. We're Americans. We have a keen sense of fairness, especially when it comes to money. But this parable, though it seems to be, is not about business practices. It also would have been immediately familiar to Jesus' audience in Israel. The use of day laborers was a common practice on the farms of that day. A denarius was the typical wage for one day's labor. Payment at the end of the workday would have been normal. And in fact, in two places, payment at the end of the day is commanded in the law of Moses. But as Jesus' audience was listening, parts of the story, much like parts of the story I just read to you, parts of the story would have struck them as odd. Owners usually hired all the labor they needed at the beginning of the day, not throughout the day. And nobody hired someone for just one hour. And paying the last to be hired first would have been at least unusual. And pay would have been prorated for those who worked fewer hours, so you would expect that those who worked one hour would be paid one-twelfth of a denarius. Now, try to put yourself in the story, okay? Try to see yourself as a, as a worker in the vineyard. Those who began work at the crack of dawn agreed to a wage of one denarius. So at the end of the day, when they saw the one-hour laborers getting paid what they had agreed to at the beginning of the day, their anticipation must have been electric. 
we're going to get 12 denarii. Two weeks' wages for one day. And then imagine their disappointment when they only got what they agreed to. In verse 15, if we made a literal translation of what the ESV says is, do you begrudge my generosity? It, it actually reads, is your eye evil that I am generous? See, the evil eye, that was a phrase for envy. They were envious. They envied the lavishly generous payment of the master to those who worked less than they did. So what is Jesus getting at here? And why is it hard for us to get it? I have to admit, this tends to be a flyover passage in my Bible, and uh, when I first read it, that became apparent to me. I've never thought deeply about this thing. There's something about this parable that cuts right to the heart of my pride, but in a very unique way. So I read it, I shrug, I say, I guess God can do whatever he wants. Our text today is not about how to run a business. In fact, if it were, the vineyard would soon be bankrupt. The text instead is about, as the first phrase of the text in verse 1, it's about the kingdom of heaven. Want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Here's an illustration. A master of a house went out to hire laborers for his vineyard. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, we don't like to talk about kingdoms here in America. A kingdom implies a king. And we got rid of the king at our founding. Because kings get to do pretty much what they want. King makes the rules. In America, we say, the people make the rules. The people make the laws through their elected representatives. But God's kingdom is not a democracy. Nobody elected him. He makes the rules, and he enforces the rules as he sees fit. He decides how the economy is run. He pays his laborers based on criteria that we're not used to. The phrase kingdom of heaven is unique to Matthew's gospel. You will only find that phrase in Matthew's gospel. Luke uses the phrase kingdom of God, but Matthew uses kingdom of heaven and he uses it 31 times. So it's a major theme of the gospel and so it's a major theme of Jesus' teaching ministry. And so I want to take some time because we've been going through Matthew's gospel for some time now. And I just want to review, as you have heard, sermon after sermon from the text of this gospel. I want to summarize and review some of the things that Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't come through wars or revolutions or elections. People can accept this kingdom or reject it. Some do reject it. Others find it appealing, but when life gets hard in this kingdom or it costs them their money or their pleasures or puts them in unsafe places, they walk away from it. But some, some embrace the kingdom and become exceedingly 
fruitful for their king. Seeing Jesus' kingdom on earth can be a perplexing sight because some people identify with it, but in the end, they aren't really submitted to the king. They're simply using his name for their own desires. This kingdom doesn't arrive with a bang. It comes silently, almost unnoticeably, but it makes its way through the entire world. It has small beginnings, though eventually it becomes the source of shelter to people around the world. Who gets to enter the kingdom? People who don't think much of themselves. People who are loyal to their king, and as a result, their allegiance gets them in trouble with people of this world. So how do you get in? How do you enter this kingdom? You must turn from your sins and follow your king wherever he may lead you. You make him your Lord, your master. You confess to others that he is God's anointed king sent to rule the world. You let them know that God first sent him to die, to pay the debt for sins his people deserve, and then to rise to rule the world. But he begins his reign at first quietly and in weakness through his church. But on the day of his return, through a final reckoning with him in his kingdom, there'll be a final reckoning with, of him in his kingdom. And this is what the Bible calls the gospel of the kingdom. What is central to this kingdom is not the commands of the king, nor is it the benefits that the king brings to his subjects. Knowing the king, following the king, is so precious to you that you're willing to give up all that you are and all that you have just to enter. This king gives the gift of life eternal life. And when you come to know Him, you discover that the greatest gift in the kingdom is the giver. The greatest gift is the King Himself. So you give your life to see Him, to hear Him, to follow Him. His is the eternal kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. And so now we're ready to hear this parable with all that in our minds. What is Jesus, the unacknowledged king so far in the gospel, telling us about his kingdom? Number one, he's telling us that in the kingdom of heaven, God is the master who owns everything. God is the master who owns everything. When we read this parable, we tend to focus on the workers, which is quite understandable. You know, it's that, where do I find myself in this photograph? But the central figure in the story is the master of the house. He owns the vineyard. He decides who works for him and what they should be paid. In the world we live in today, we are constantly told a very different story. I own the vineyard. I decide who works for me. 
I decide what I'll pay. I deserve the best at the lowest cost. Now, I know the vast majority of you in the room here, and I know you all get this. We get it in concept. But if we read carefully the story of the rich young ruler that we heard last week in chapter 19, we realize that we can be as blind to the implications of God's ownership of everything as was the rich man. He kept the commandments, but he sensed something was lacking in him. So he had to ask, what do I still lack? Jesus asked him to turn over control of his wealth and follow him. And that was a bridge he would not cross. God owns everything. It's all his. It's not ours. Not under our control. Number two, in the kingdom of heaven, God invites us to join him in his work. Now, the metaphor of the, of the vineyard and the vine runs throughout the Bible. You see it often in Isaiah, you see it in Jeremiah, you see it in Hosea, you see it in Psalms. This idea that God has a vineyard. Jesus teaches us in John 15 that he is the main stem of the vine and his people are the branches attached to the vine. So usually the metaphor is used of God's people being the vine in the vineyard. But in this parable, the focus is on, is on God inviting people to join him in tending his vineyard. The focus is not on the vines or the work itself, but on how God invites us and treats us as we serve Him. The Lord of the vineyard invites us to labor in His fields. He promises to pay the first workers hired the standard rate. But to the rest, he says, in our ESV translation, whatever is right, I will give you. In other words, I'm not going to rip you off. In the NIV, the verse reads, and I, I like this, I will pay you whatever is right. I will pay you what is right. If we accept his invitation to serve him in the vineyard, we can expect to be paid according to his determination of a good wage. But many don't accept the invitation because it comes at the cost of their most prized possessions or positions. This parable is told following Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. He invited the young man, but the entrance fee was just too high for him. To work in Jesus' vineyard, he had to give his wealth to the poor. But when Jesus, when it comes to compensation, Jesus makes a promise. I will pay you what is right. I will pay you what is right. Not the standard wage, what is right according to God's economy. 
If you don't trust the integrity and goodness of the master of the vineyard, you're going to turn down the job offer. But if you do accept it, though it costs you what you may today find dear, you will discover that he is the best master imaginable and you can expect to be paid what is just right just for you so God invites us to join him in his work and then number three in the kingdom of heaven rewards are not proportional to human effort rewards are not proportional to human effort the 12-hour workers complain in verse 12 Look at it for a minute. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Sounds like a good argument to me. They were saying, no fair, they got more. Well, Jesus explains, or Jesus, the Master of the vineyard explains, it's my money, I can do what I want with it. But there's a detail in the parable that we haven't really looked at yet. And this is where you've got to look at these things over and over again to start to see what's going on. Look at verse 6. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said that they'd been there idle all day because nobody wanted to hire them. Apparently they were willing, but they did not look like very good prospects for employment. Some of you have been helping me renovate a house and you have watched me sit and walk and stand. I want you to picture me in line at the day laborers uh, employment center and foremen come in you know they need to pour concrete lay cinder blocks they, they look at me and say <laughs> no way we'll get our money's worth out of this guy there was something about a certain group of people there that nobody considered worthy of being hired The Lord invites those who look worthless to everyone else to come labor with Him in His vineyard. He invites the lame and the blind, those who lack all talent and those unfit in human eyes. He invites those with autism and those with no education and no credentials. And what do we learn at the end of the day? He is extraordinarily generous. Everybody gets what's right. And that means some get paid out of all proportion to their contribution. The passage does not deny that there will be rewards in heaven for our lives here on earth. That is taught elsewhere. The message of the passage is the Master. The Master is exceptionally generous so the point of the parable is this god's generosity is never earned or deserved everything we receive from him is a gift god's generosity never earned everything we receive from him is a gift
The rich young ruler thought he could earn eternal life. He realized something's missing, but I can do this. I got this. Jesus' line of questioning forced the man to see that he was wrong. And then Jesus invited him, come, follow me without your money. Now, I said earlier that I think this parable is easy to miss and really cuts through all of our hearts, and here's why. Some of us think sacrifice should always be rewarded with success. Sacrifice should be rewarded with success. We forget whose vineyard it is. We worked hard. We expect results. Some of us here are parents, and we sacrifice tirelessly for our children. And the kids just don't get it. They even act like they are entitled to our service. And we can resent them and resent God for it. I expected a different payday, we say. And the Lord says, I will pay you what is right. Come, follow me. Some of you here today, I cannot include myself in this group, some of you here today are talented athletes, and you think that given how hard you have trained, you deserve to win. And you think you're somebody because you often do win. And the Lord says, whatever effort you put into it, whatever talent you have, it's my gift to you to be used as I see fit. Come, work for me, and I'll decide how successful you are. I will pay you what is right. Come and follow me. As Devin pointed out last week, we live in a society where the average wealth in America puts us in the top 3% of the entire 7 billion people world. And we think we earned our wealth. And we think we deserve it. And we expect a return on every investment. And the Lord says that money is a gift for me to be used in my vineyard. I'll use your money as I think is best for gain or for la loss. But whatever the return you receive, I will pay you what is right. So come, follow me. Some of us have positions of authority. We're the boss at work or the head of a household. We think our very title makes us deserving of respect. Pastors can be especially vulnerable to this. So can those who find success in a business or an academic field. We expect respect and obedience. And the Lord says, that position is a gift from me to be used for my purposes. I'll decide how long you hold that position, and I'll decide how you are treated in it. But at the end of the day, I'll pay you what is right. Come, follow me. 
Now, I know I'm speaking to a largely willing audience. Some of you have never counted the cost. It may be. I don't know all of you. Some of you may have never counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe you've seen the benefits of the forgiveness of sins and a peace that passes understanding, but you haven't considered that the owner of the vineyard invites you to come work and he'll decide how you're paid. He'll decide what you do. He'll decide how long you do it. The call is to follow Jesus. Not a program. Not a list of commandments. Jesus. We can be like the rich young ruler. We can be deceived. Until we're called to make a sacrifice for Jesus that touches something more precious to us than Jesus himself. The temptation in the parable is not so much that what the rich man faced, but what happened when the first group of laborers compared themselves to the rest of the laborers. See, this is what happens. We're going along and saying, hey, it's hard for all of us. That first group, if they had, you know, if they had been called first to be paid and they got their denarius, and they said, okay, cool, let's go home and have dinner, and they left, and they never learned what the rest of the group got, they wouldn't have thought twice about it. Their envy arose when they saw others who did not work as hard, getting proportionally more than they did. Friends, we cannot compare our lives to the lives of others. The Lord's ways are not our ways. Our lives are all going to fall out different. But this is what he says to all of us. And this is what we can trust. I will pay you what is right. Now you may get the standard wage. And even if you do, when you come to know him, and his mastery over everything in your life, and you realize that your talent and your effort and your success, all of it was a gift from him, that changes everything. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? When you see the lavish generosity of the Master, when you see His control over all things, when you trust Him that His payment for your services will be just right, you will be fit for service and able to bear much fruit. Sometimes in weakness and failure. Sometimes in success and recognition. Those things don't matter. The point of the parable is the generosity of the master. You can serve him freely. Whatever talents you have or lack, you can serve him knowing this, that he promises you, 
I will pay you what is right. Come, follow me.